This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to be speaking from John chapter 7 tonight, a very familiar passage. Gospel of John chapter 7. Just three verses, verse 37 through verse 39. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spoke he of the Spirit which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Amen. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer and just ask his blessing on our thoughts together. Our gracious Lord and loving Heavenly Father, we do indeed give you thanks for your many blessings, for your faithfulness throughout all these years. Lord, we thank you for the uh, bond that we share together in ministry uh, over these many years and for what you have accomplished. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is true and that it is profitable to us for all things. We pray, Lord, that tonight as we look into your word that you would remove from our minds anything that would distract us. May we be conscious of your presence here listening for your voice as you speak to our hearts. For we ask these things through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. My text today is just three verses long, verses easily read and easily passed over. Yet it's one of the more dramatic scenes in all of Christ's earthly ministry. In the early years, Jesus tried to avoid the public glare as much as possible. There were things that he wanted to do, uh, things that he wanted to teach before he drew the attention of those who would become his enemies. Most of his early ministry took place away from the cities, in the hills of Galilee, far away from the centers of power and intrigue. But now, at the last, as his time here on earth was coming to a a close, or drawing near to the end, he stands up in the temple on one of its busiest days in the year, and he calls out to all the people that are there, if any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. With these few simple words, Jesus has issued an invitation of such breadth and so far-reaching in nature that his message has echoed down through the ages right to the present day. Verse 37 begins, in the last day, that great day of the feast. To gain a full impact of just exactly what Jesus said and did on this occasion, I think it's helpful for us to go back in time a little bit just to understand the background to these words. It was a time of year when the Jews celebrated what is called the Feast of the Tabernacles. 
Now, my knowledge of the Jewish feasts and festivals is a bit sketchy, but as best I understand it, this festival was observed every year and it lasted a full week. Jews still celebrate today. It's called Sukkot or Sukkot. Traditionally, Jews build booths, temporary shelters, and they live in them for the week. They'll often eat their meals in these booths. Sometimes they may even sleep in them every night during the week. In Old Testament times, sacrifices and prayers were offered each day. Each day the people would meet and they might even wave the branches in uh, the temple grounds while certain psalms were read and recited in praise to God for his salvation, for his blessing. Branches from various trees, it might be palm branches or willow trees or other kinds of trees that grew in that area. But what's the significance of this feast? Well, it performs several functions. It was a harvest festival, a time of celebration and thanksgiving to God for his blessing and for the ingathering of the harvest. But it's also a feast of remembrance, looking back to the time when the ancient Israelites wandered through the wilderness, having been delivered from slavery in Egypt, and God was leading them to the promised land. A time when God provided for them each step of the way, day in and day out, for their various needs. And these tents, these booths, are a reminder of the dwellings that the Israelites lived in throughout their many years in the wilderness. A reminder of God's faithfulness, his faithfulness to provide for their every need, his faithfulness to protect them from danger, his faithfulness to deliver them from tyranny and out of slavery, and of bringing them into the land of promise, a land of freedom and of blessing. So that's the background to this feast. Now, by the time of Christ, a tradition had developed in association with this festival. Each day of the week, a priest would take a golden picture and go down and collect water from the pool of Siloam. He would then return to the temple where he would pour out the water by the high altar in front of everyone gathered there that day, an offering to God. Each day, the people would gather in the temple. They would follow behind the priest as he would go to collect the water and bring it back to the temple, waving their branches, singing the psalms that were associated with that festival. What was the whole point of all of this? Well, and it was in keeping with the underlying reason for this festival. It was another reminder of God's blessing in the wilderness, how he provided water for them in the desert, how God miraculously provided for their needs. But the ritual was not just looking back to the past. It was also a prophecy of future blessing, of the time spoken of by the prophet Joel, when the Messiah, the Christ, would come. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit in these days. I'll just read it to you. The prophecy is from the book of Joel, chapter 2. He says, And it will come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, 
and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So on each day of the feast, there was not only a looking back to God's past deliverances, but there was also a looking forward to God's future deliverance, to the time when the Messiah, when the Christ would come and bring salvation to the people. And so the priest would pour out the water each day in anticipation of the fulfillment of this prophecy when the Holy Spirit would be poured out. Now, picture the occasion before us, if you will. That's all background. Verse 37 says that in the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood forth and cried out. On this occasion, imagine the crowds have gathered to the temple. They're there in the courtyard. They're waiting there on this last day of the feast for the great climax of the whole week long of celebrations. The final sacrifices have been made. The final prayers have been offered. The final psalms of praise have been sung. The trumpets have sounded their final blast. The festivities are over. The crowds begin to part. They begin to disperse. And it's at this point that Jesus then steps forward into the temple courtyard there and cries out with a loud voice for all to hear. You can just imagine for a moment the silence that might have swept across the courtyard as everyone turned to look at the one who had dared to speak out in this fashion, in such a manner, on such a sacred occasion. Now that Jesus has their attention, he says to them, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. Just after the, whole, the, 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 the high priest had poured out the final uh, uh, measure of water there in the temple courtyard. If anyone thirst, let him come to me. Can you imagine just how daring those words must have sounded on that occasion? The people could not believe their ears. Did he just say what I think he said? Who does he think he is to speak like this in the temple? His words were not lost on the Jews there that day. It was a clear message intended just for them. He was direct, directly linking himself to the prophecy of the Messiah that was to come. He was showing them that he was the fulfillment. But his words have a far wider meaning because, of course, they're words intended for us all. I want to call your attention tonight to just two aspects of his message in particular. The first being the spring, the fountain, the source the beginning of spiritual life, and then secondly, to the river, the outflow of that spiritual life, spoken of in verse 38, the rivers of living water. Firstly, the spring. If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. To whom is Jesus speaking? He says, if any man, if any one, in other words, his invitation is expressed in the widest possible terms. It's not to a select few. It's not just to his closest friends and family. It's not just to his own people, to the great and good of the community. No, he gives his invitation to everyone. 
whether high-born or lowly, whether rich or poor, young or old, without regard for their social class or their ethnic makeup or any other distinction, if anyone thirsts, let him come. There's just one stipulation that Jesus sets forward. If anyone thirsts, this is the requirement to come to Jesus. You've got to be thirsty. What thirst was Jesus talking about? Thirsty after working all day out in the hot sun? Thirsty because your mouth is dry and your lips are parched? No, of course not. He's talking about spiritual thirst. An anxiety of soul. A guilt of sin. A sense of your unfitness before God. Perhaps a fear of the future. What lies ahead. Of dying and what might follow. Too many people, not knowing the true nature of their thirst, are trying to satisfy it by drinking from all the wrong fountains. It could be the fountain of money, the fountain of pleasure. It could be of power or social status, self-fulfillment, self-indulgence. But try as they might, their thirst is never satisfied. John D. Rockefeller has gone down in history as the world's first billionaire. He was the founder, I think, of Standard Oil Company, which at the time was the largest corporation in the world. Someone once asked Rockefeller, how much money is enough? Do you know what his answer was? You probably do. Some of you know it. Just one more dollar. Do you know... You want to know why these fountains never bring the satisfaction they promise? Because they're the wrong fountains. Jesus said, if anyone drinks of this water, he shall thirst again. But if anyone drinks of the water that I shall give him, he shall never thirst again. So let me ask you, to whom is Jesus speaking? He says, if anyone thirst. Was there ever a person born who did not thirst? Was there everyone born that did not have desires that this world could not satisfy? Was there ever a person born who did not have a spiritual need? C.S. Lewis once said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Jesus is saying, if you sense within yourself a need, then come to me. I am the one who can meet the deepest needs of your soul. What you need is not money or pleasure or self-esteem, self-importance or any other such thing. What you need is a savior. If anyone thirsts, Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me. But you must be aware of your thirst. A few years ago, uh, there was an outdoor adventure series on the television back in the UK. It was called Walking the Nile. I enjoy watching documentaries which take me to different places around the world, especially if it's a place I'm not likely ever to get to see. Well, on this particular TV show, there was an ex-soldier. I think he was a former Marine commando uh, with the, the UK military forces. His name was Levison Wood. And he took it upon himself to trek the entire length of the Nile River 
all 4,250 miles of it from the source to where it pours out into the Mediterranean Sea. A few days into the trek, we're watching it through several series, uh, 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 week after week. Uh, a good friend of his joined him. His friend was an American, Matthew Power. He was an American journalist who himself had traveled all around the world to extreme places doing news stories and reporting. So they walked together. One day, as they were crossing the African plains, uh, Matthew Power began to complain of being a bit tired and having a headache. So they decided that they would put in early for the night and, and, and get some extra rest. The next morning, the small party woke up to find that Matthew Power had died during the night in his sleep. When the doctors did their post-mortem, they determined he died from dehydration and heat stroke. He'd been thirsty, but didn't know it. How many people in our world today are dying spiritually because they're unaware of their thirst, of the true need of their souls? Jesus is the fountain. He's the spring, the source of spiritual life. And Jesus simply says, come to me and drink. Leave behind all your pride and your self-reliance your own wisdom, your own earthly dreams and ambitions, and come to me in humble faith. That's what Jesus is saying, and you will receive. The great Bishop Ryle, in preaching from this passage, encourages us to learn from the Master, to offer Christ boldly, freely, fully, broadly, unconditionally to all thirsting souls. The gospel is too often spoiled in the presentation of it. Some fence it round with conditions and keep sinners at a distance. Others direct sinners wrongly and send them to something else beside or instead of Christ. He only copies his Lord who says, If anyone feels his sins, let him come at once, straight, direct to Christ himself. So then the beginning point for us as Christ, for, for all true Christian life, is first to discover that we're thirsty, that in ourselves we are spiritually empty, guilty sinners in need of salvation, and that by coming to Jesus in faith, we receive all that we truly need, his mercy, his forgiveness, new life, and all the blessings that flow from it. That's the spring. Now, in verse 38, Jesus speaks of the consequence of coming to him and of taking him up on his invitation. He says in verse 38, He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Jesus says here, as the scripture hath said. What scripture is he quoting from? Well, try as you might, you'll have great difficulty in finding the exact verse. But you see, what Jesus is doing here is not so much quoting one specific verse as he is rather giving us a general statement of several verses found in the Old Testament. One of them could have been Isaiah 58, verse 11. The Lord shall guide you and continually and satisfy your soul in drought. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water 
whose waters fail not. Jesus here is describing the life of heaven like a bubbling spring of clear, fresh water. There are few things in the world more refreshing than a nice drink of water, especially when you're hot and thirsty. No sticky, fizzy drink seems to do the job, quite like clear water. Years ago, when I was in high school, many years ago, I lived in Miami, Florida. And when I was a senior, the school took us all to a summer camp in North Florida just before our senior year was to begin. I think it was some kind of time for us to bond together as seniors for our last year, something along those lines. Anyways, one day they took us out to Ichitakne Springs to go inner tubing. I remember getting in the bus and them taking us to the source of these springs. Driving in a school bus in North Florida in the summer without air conditioning is a very hot and sticky experience. We arrived at the source of the springs and the water was bubbling up out of the ground in a pool. It looked very inviting, cool and refreshing. We all jumped in without hesitation. The water was freezing, or at least felt like it after we'd been in the bus all day. Actually, it wasn't that cold, but it woke us up all instantly. We were refreshed, and we were ready to go inner tubing down the river. We couldn't see the source of the spring. It was underground, hidden well below from view, but we could see the fruits of it. And we could experience the wonder of those springs as they bubbled up out of the ground and spilled out for all to see and enjoy. Just as Jesus pours into your soul eternal life, so that life comes bubbling up and spilling out spontaneously. Just like the springs of Ichitakne, it can't stay hidden. It can't help but overflow. When Jesus truly comes into a life, he will be seen. I don't give much for these testimonies about, oh, I believe, and yet there's no fruit. He will be seen in what you say and in what you do, in your attitudes and in your choices and in your habits. Now let me ask you this. Is this an accurate description of your life, your spiritual life in particular? Can others see Jesus in you? Or would they be surprised to learn that you went to church? If you cannot detect anything of the Spirit of Christ in you, then you must wonder if you've even tapped into the source. The life here that Jesus describes is a life that is actively flowing forth. It's a life that can't be contained. It's a force that can't be held back. Spiritual life is a life that's meant to flow out. It's part of Christ's plan for us, his purpose for you and for me. We're to be constantly, continuously flowing out, sharing Jesus with others. How is it with you today? Have you sensed, first of all, within yourself a thirst? An awareness, perhaps, of a spiritual need in your life? Then I invite you to come to Jesus and take freely of the water of life. Perhaps you've experienced the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit at work in you. It's not to be kept hidden away for your own personal benefit. 
Living water is water that flows freely. It's not stagnant and sterile. It's water that runs clear and clean, and it brings life and refreshment to all it touches. This living water from Jesus is a gift intended for all. The life of the Spirit is a blessing to be shared. Let's seek to share that blessing, the blessings of eternal life with others that they too may share in the joy and the peace and the love of knowing Jesus. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.